This is Our Voices on the Yard. Welcome to Our Voices on the Yard, where Black artistic excellence meets everyday life. I'm your host, Denise Woods, and I'm going to take you from the Black church to the bright lights of Broadway, from tiny music studios to the mega stages of international opera houses, from rustic dance studios to ornate vaudeville theaters. Join me as we explore and celebrate the achievements of the Black artists that attended conservatories and fine arts programs around the world, starting with my very own, the Juilliard School. This is Our Voices on the Yard. Hi, this is Denise Woods, and this is Our Voices on the Yard. Today, we have an extraordinary young dancer. And when I say young dancer, I mean he is not of my generation. He actually could be my son. He could probably be my grandson. (laughs) However, that said, this young man is so extraordinary. And how I met him was Juilliard was celebrating their 50th anniversary of the drama division. And a few students in the drama division came to me because they knew that I had gone to Juilliard and I taught at Juilliard. I went there in the 70s, taught there in the 90s. And they wanted to have a celebration, a celebration of the African-American experience, the Black experience at Juilliard throughout these 50 years. And they knew that I had been linked to several decades and knew several of the people that they probably didn't know. And they were right. It was an amazing collaboration. And we were able, in conjunction with the 50th anniversary of the Drama Division, we were able to do a weekend celebration of the African-American experience in the Drama Division. It was a celebration. We honored the African-American students that were in the first graduating class of the Drama Division at Juilliard. But we also had master classes and talkbacks and forums and places where, where students, faculty, administration, all of Juilliard and of color could come and just talk about the Juilliard experience, the good, the bad, the ugly. And it was so cathartic and so healing. And one day, a young man walks in, and I said, I I don't know you. And he says, oh, I'm Malik Williams. I'm not a drama student. I'm a dancer. Can I join you? (laughs) He said, of course. Of course. Come. He fit in like a glove. It was just an amazing fit. And for him to talk about his experience through the lens of a dancer... And the dance division is just right down the hall from the drama division. And to hear what his experience was like was so unique, but so similar to what our experiences were like. So I need you to tune in and listen to Malik Williams, who is now an incredible dancer. He has since graduated from Juilliard. He is touring with a world-renowned modern dance company. He's extraordinary. He talks about how he started dancing in the support of his family and how he didn't feel valued at the Juilliard School and how that experience allowed him to excel. It didn't break him. It made him work harder. 
So tune in, listen, enjoy. You and I met at Juilliard five years ago. It was wonderful because you were not a drama division student. And I was there with Lisa Gay Hamilton, with Keith David, just just amazing, amazing group of people, names that are slipping my mind right now. We were doing an, an alumni, African-American alumni weekend, where we were going to come and the older students, older alum, we're going to come and do master classes. We were going to have roundtable discussions. We were going to honor the graduates of the first graduating class in the drama division. And then walks in this beautiful soul and says, I'm not in the drama division, but I would love to join you. <laughs> and then not only <laughs> did you join us, Malik, but you bared your soul. Like it was, it was so beautiful because come to find out, it seems that you didn't have a lot of friends in that room. But the room was so comfortable. It was so transparent and so welcoming that you felt the need to share your experience in the dance division. And that's why I've brought you back. You're the first dancer. You're the first dancer. Yes, you are the first dancer. <laughs> and I am so happy to have you, sweetheart. And thank you for joining us because I know, I don't know if you have your schedule for the fall, but you're going to be in L.A. with your dance company in the fall. I am. I am. <laughs> I've done my research. I've done my <laughs> You have. I'll give and, you that. <laughs> and I want you to come back and sit with us in the studio in the fall, in October. You dance with the Mark Morris Dance Group, and you are going to be playing the Broad Theater October 20th through the 23rd. That's in Santa Monica but Los yes. Angeles proper. And congratulations on making it into such a prestigious dance company. That leads me, uh, well, first of all, welcome to our voices <laughs> on the yard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just, I have so much to share and so much to ask about because you are, you are young enough to be my son. I would say you're young enough to be my grandson. <laughs> You really are. And so this is, yeah. And so this <laughs> is an honor. <laughs> this is actually an honor for me to talk about Juilliard and then to pass the baton over to someone who was there, not the next generation, but the, the two generations apart. And to sit and talk to you, I am honored. Welcome to our Voices on the Yard. Thank you for being here. Thank you. You are welcome. We're going to start with this. It's always been a question of mine. When I, when I got to Juilliard, I knew that the pianists, the violinists, the opera singers, the actors were there at a conservatory to study the rigors of, of training. And not that I didn't think the dancers, you know, needed that rigor, but I always questioned if they had to come to a conservatory to do it. 
You know what I mean? Couldn't they have studied at Alvin Ailey, Martha Graham? You know, what was it that was so appealing in the conservatory construct that drew you to a place like Juilliard? That is actually a really great question because a big conversation in the dance world is always, you know, unlike a lot of other arts and professions, there's almost a deadline for dancers <laughs> because, you know, it's our physical bodies that we're using and we get older and things happen and aching and injuries. And so a lot of people like say like, why don't you just start dancing almost immediately? So you have enough time for me personally. I think I chose to go to a conservatory because I felt like I wasn't ready to be in a professional setting yet. I felt that I had a lot to learn about who I was as a person, as a dancer. And I also felt like I didn't want to enter the career with a ton of bad habits and a ton of like, not a lot of training in the sense of like technicality, because as I'm learning now, I mean, I'm still young, but as I'm getting older, I'm seeing around me, my peers get mm. chronic injuries or pains. And I've almost like, because of the schooling I've done, learning like all these different techniques and like ways to take care of myself. I think that's the biggest one. Learning how to take care of myself before and after dancing, which is almost just as important as the actual dancing, because we're with our bodies at yeah. all times. And so I learned how to actually warm up my body before dancing. I learned how to cool down my body after dancing. I've learned when something starts to hurt, it's not yet an injury, but it starts to hurt. How do I, how do I take care of that? that hurt? How do I nurse it without having to go see a practitioner or physical therapy? Because that also costs money. But how can I almost self-diagnose and do things on my own in my apartment or in the space that I'm dancing in to kind of alleviate that pain so I'm able to keep dancing at the same level as I have been? Like all of those things, are you, you don't necessarily learn if you go straight into the um, dance world. And a lot of those little things I learned at school at Juilliard. And it's also really interesting because a lot of those things weren't necessarily taught to me. A lot of those things weren't necessarily taught to me in school, but it was actually while I was in school, learning how to take care of myself in school and in class and in the rehearsals, figuring out, well, my body hurts, but I still have to do X, Y, and Z because I'm getting graded. And so how do I still do that without ruining myself and making it worse in the long run? I had to almost like seek out that kind of counsel, that, those kind of tips and those kind of things to like help myself and be able to have a longer career and more longevity without constantly like being in pain or dealing with the same injury. And like dance is hard and like very rigorous, but I do believe that it shouldn't be necessarily painful to do and growing up i felt a lot of pain dancing well that and that's a great point that's a great point because i want to segue to what led you to juilliard you have a wonderful and extensive backstory 
you've done several uh, summer intensives. You went to a performing arts high school. When did the bug hit you? So, so you you showed up to Juilliard. Did you come right right out of high school to Juilliard? Yes. That's so unusual. You know that. It's so it's it's very unusual. I mean, it's unusual clearly in 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 the in the drama division to come right out of high school. Mm. But but also you shared something with me in our conversation that from your high school, how many kids came from your high school in Florida, right? I will say like while I was at the high school, Mm -hmm. I think there was Alex, Jeremy, Jordan, Tara. I think there were four before me. And then there was actually a couple after I left who also got in after I got in. You know, that speaks volumes of your high school. That's why I really want to, st- it really, really does because there's so many performing arts high schools around the nation. And I really did this podcast for not just people in the arts, but for young people who are aspiring to go to a school like Juilliard, to go to some a summer intensive like Alvin Ailey. And then to know that your high school, you, you named about seven people just in your time before you and after you that made it to Juilliard from your high school. That is highly unusual. And I applaud your school. Tell me more about your school, that high school experience. Yeah. um, Thank you. I mean, it's crazy to think about because like now that I think about it after I'm out of it, I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, that is kind of crazy that so many dancers from my school have gotten into Juilliard. I think, uh, I mean, a lot of things have but changed I have there. Ask, since I just have to interject. Then. I have to ask, were you the only black one? No. Okay. Okay. Sweet. Okay. Yes. There were, there were a few other black men who got in. Okay. Before me. But I think the way that it was structured was, I feel like it was very rigorous. Like the training at the school was very pushed towards everyone who's coming here, you want to dance professionally. And so we're going to instruct you and teach you and coach you in that way, whether or not you actually do want to pursue dance. Mm. Um, We always had ballet class. We always had our modern class, but there were also a lot of performance opportunities as well. I think we had two per year and almost everyone, I think everyone was in those performances. Like you performed at least twice and then there were more. That was kind of the minimum. And so they were really pushing pushing us as if we were going to be dancers, whether we actually wanted to or not. But wow. that's kind of how the dance division was kind of structured. And I think because of that, a lot of people do pursue dance after school. That's and huge. Yeah. I'm like, I'm really fortunate that I went there and got the guidance and coaching that I did. I also think another kind of special thing about my school is that we brought in a lot of choreographers from outside that I think showed us different aspects of the dance world and also pushed us to kind of open um, and be more versatile in like what we uh, could do, what we could dance. Um, I was doing ballet pieces. I was doing modern pieces. I was doing jazz pieces. There was a tap piece and a hip hop piece. They really wanted us get the full range, the full rainbow of everything because you look at the dance world and there is a space for 
literally everything. Mm. So that begs the question of when you got to Juilliard, was it everything you expected? Yes and no. I will say going into Juilliard, I was a little bit in the dark because this quick story of how I ended up going there my senior year. um, Of course, my senior year, uh, I thought 100% I was, I'm like, I'm going to Ailey. I'm going to be in that company. That is, that is my goal. That is my dream. That's what's going to happen. And no one could tell me anything other than that. The Dean of my department at my high school asked me, she, she said like, Oh, Okay, that's great. I'm glad you already have a plan, but have you thought of Juilliard? And I immediately said, oh, they wouldn't accept me. So no. She asked me like, why? I just felt like I kept saying like, I didn't feel like I was the type of dancer they're looking for. Looking at the people they did take ahead of me, looked and danced a certain way. And I didn't feel like I danced like them or looked like them. Even the black men, like I felt physically, we looked very different. And so... In my head, I already said, like, that's not going to happen. So, like, why would I waste the money getting a plane ticket to go audition when I already know I'm not going to get it? And, you know, I wasn't making any money. So I was like, let's just, you know, let's not even try it. But she, like, really pushed me. And she was like, I, I want you to just look into it. Look into the school. And if you still decide you don't want to audition, like, I'm not going to force you. But I really think you should. And so I like talked it over with my parents and like, you only fail if you don't try. So I was like, okay, whatever, I'm going to go. And also like a different college that I was auditioning for was happening in the same place. So I was like, I'm kind of already going to be there. So it's just like one extra night at the hotel. Like I was really trying to like create this, like, like this world (laughs) in my head where it's like, I don't like, I'm just doing it because I'm like not upset if I don't get it, you know? And I remember going and was in the audition. And by the way, I was a lot of kids from my high school were in that audition. And a lot of those kids went to the Juilliard Summer Intensive. So everyone already thought like, oh, they're going to get it because they did the Summer Intensive. So like they're a shoe in. And so I'm just, you know, I'm there just like taking a ballet class, living my best life. (laughs) And then I got past the first cut. A lot of the people that they thought were going to make it got cut. And I think that was the moment where I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, gosh, there's a chance. Oh, no, the nerves are coming. What's going on? I already like decided <laughs> that I wasn't going to be upset. And now I'm like, Whew, OK, here we go. <laughs> and I think it was just like. Well, maybe not to the dean of my dance department. I don't think she was surprised that I made it because she was like pushing for me to audition. But I was certainly surprised that I even made it to the end of the audition. And even more surprised when I got the call that I got in and I was like, what is happening? Like they only choose 12 men, not even just from America, from everywhere. And I just happened to be one. Like, wait a minute. I'm big. I didn't know they only chose 12 men. Wow. Yes. That's huge. Like you said, all over the world. It's not just American dancers. Yeah. 12 men and 12 women. Wow. In my head, I was like, 
this has to mean something. Me getting into this school has to mean something. And I know I had this like plan that I like written out and had a, like a vision board and knew it was going to happen. But for something in me said, Malik, you should take a chance. You should go into the unknown. And that's what I ended up doing. Um, all of that to say, I kind of went into Juilliard not really knowing exactly what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, I have my ideas of what it is and I, you know, people talk and like, like I said, a lot of people have gotten in from my school and like also alum who were before my time would come back who have been to Juilliard and graduated and like, like talk about it. So I had all these ideas and all these thoughts about it, but I'm thinking back now and none of them prepared me for entering Juilliard and going to Juilliard as a black dancer. Mm. And I think that's what caught me the most off guard. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that being a black dancer changed my experience so much mm. until it was too late and it already happened. And then I was picking up the pieces. For instance, you've got to, you've got to unpack that for us. You can't just drop that. <laughs> and, and that we're going to go on. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to unpack that a bit, my brother. You really, really do. <laughs> I thought I could just drop it and run away. No. But. <laughs> because quite frankly, you know, I've, I've experienced and I'm, I, I taught at Juilliard in the 90s. And I've experienced the brothers, you know, at Juilliard when I was there. And then when I taught there and their experience was quite different than even the black female experience at Juilliard. And so I know it from the drama division perspective, and particularly when it came to voice and speech in the drama division, Mm -hmm. how we spoke. But I need to hear it from a dancer. So please unpack it, share. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) of course yeah so you start off there's 12 men and 12 women in each class usually sometimes there's you know depending on the class but ours had 12 men and 12 women and there were only two black people me included so it was me and another woman and going into that being in dance in general especially at kind of like the level I was training is always predominantly white. But I think this was kind of special because again, it's like, you know, the best of the world and entering that space and only seeing one other person who looks like me was like, okay, so I'm guessing of my year, there were only like two black people who were the best of the best. And for me, I don't know, I'm not going to speak for her, but for me, it almost felt like I had something to like prove and live up to. Mm. Um, Being the only black male there, that was an expectation that I did put on myself, which I do understand. But it's hard not to, being the only black man. And also in the dance division in general, there were just not a lot of black people. I think there was like this joke, which it's not really a joke, but it's kind of a joke. We laugh because it's traumatic. 
when I was a freshman, the third years, the juniors had a record breaking amount of black people in their class. I think it was like five or six. The joke was they let in all these black people. So then the next year they only accepted one because they were like, oh, we've done our quota. I laughed at it, you know, it was a joke, whatever. But looking back on it, it's like, well, we're making a joke about that. But isn't that what is being said subliminally to everyone else when they look at our classes? It's like, you accepted all these Black people and they're all great. They're all beautiful dancers. And then the next year, they'll only one. And so it's like, what does that say to the public? What does that say to future applicants? What does it say to the people who are already in the school? There's all these like external pressures that are not necessarily put on me by other people, but because of the environment, because of the people around me, it's almost like I have to take that burden because I'm black. Like that's it. There's like no other reason for it. Mm -hmm. And so there's that stress. There's kind of that heaviness that that is bringing my director at the time, bless his soul, but he was awful. Mm -hmm. And he would say certain things, I will elaborate, but he would say certain things that he would say to me like freshman and sophomore year and that I wouldn't understand why he was saying it to me and it wouldn't be until senior year and afterwards where I either talk to other Black alum or I'm talking to my therapist and I'm like explaining what has been said and then they would say, Malik, you do realize that this has nothing to do with you. This only has to do with the color of your skin. And that moment, I think, because it happened in like my senior year of school, that moment is where my heart broke mm. about the school, about this institution that I went to and I trusted to have my well-being and to like make me the best answer that I can be to realize that they failed me just mm -hmm. because I am a black dancer and not a white dancer. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So for example, me and my director had a very volatile relationship from the moment I joined to the moment I graduated. He, for one, I was on probation for basically my sophomore and junior year. And it was because of things he would say and things he thought of me and my dancing. For example, let me just start talking about it, unpacking it. We have conferences. I, I think the drama division has something similar, but like at the end of a semester, you sit down with the faculty and they basically kind of just like talk at you and tell you how you're doing. Yeah, um, we call them critiques. Critiques. Ours were called conferences. And it's basically what I told you. You sit down, you're on a table, they have a notepad, a pen, and a box of tissues for you. And the other side is just, yes, the tissues. Yep, they have the tissues. <laughs> <laughs> they were prepared. I will say that. Oh, okay. My heart is beating. My hands <laughs> are starting to sweat. My palms are getting sweaty. Okay. Go ahead. Yes. They tell you about your semester, how you're doing, what they want you to work on, X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. And my first one went really well. It was all very constructive, all very, we're getting to know you as a dancer. 
you're getting to know us and you're like getting your feet settled kind of in the school. And it was the second one right before my summer, before my sophomore year, where things started to get a little funky. And I remember my, at two separate ballet teachers and these two separate people, and this is very important, they're two very different people, had different opinions about my growth and what I needed to work on in their ballet classes because they are two different people. And I'm saying this now because I didn't realize this when I was a freshman and I'm, it frustrates me so much. But because these two ballet teachers had different ideas or opinions or critiques or whatever, the director of my program said to me, well, it looks like you're an inconsistent dancer. And again, I'm a freshman. I just got to the school. I just want to be the best dancer I can. I'm hearing this and I'm like, okay, I'm an inconsistent dancer. I just need to be more consistent. I need to be better. And now I'm looking at that and I'm like, that is complete bullshit. Excuse my French, but that is straight bull that two different people had two different critiques or whatever on my dancing. So that your conclusion was, oh, that must mean you're inconsistent or like you're trying hard in this one and not trying hard in this one or whatever. But that's what he said to me. And so I left that meeting thinking, oh, wow, like I need to be more consistent. I need to figure out how to make that happen so I can be the best dancer that I can be. Become something very toxic, at least for me. Going into my so, sophomore so let's, year. Let's, let's stop there. Yeah. How, how did that become toxic? I mean, and, and the reason why, and clearly if it's very personal, we don't have to go there, but a lot of young artists get in that kind of a conundrum and it then becomes a downward spiral. And if you can share with someone out there who is in an art form and teachers, mentors, instructors, can have a tendency to be very subjective about it. And particularly in the conservatory institutional kind of way, because they are producing a type of dancer, a type of Juilliard actor, a type of Juilliard musician. And so when you come in with your own personal identity and your personal stamp, it almost feels sometimes that it's being stamped out of you. I know that's the thing that I felt, that's the thing that a lot of actors felt in the drama division, that your own personal funk has no place in this institution. And so there's inconsistency because sometimes you want to bring your essence to, to the work. And clearly it wasn't a- accepted, at least in the drama division. And that was a, a, was a huge, huge issue with a lot of the students when I was there on faculty. So tell me, how did that toxic thing, and you use the word subliminal a lot, and and yes, it is so covert and so systemic, and that's what we're talking about right now. That's what, you know, we want to unpack it, that institutional racism that they go, I'm not a racist, and clearly, oh, really, but there's just something here that doesn't feel right. Like, we know it. You know, we can feel it. Mm-hmm. What is that? So tell me about the toxic environment and tell me how it manifested in you as a young 18-year-old dancer away from home in New York. Yeah. Uh, 
So that was the first kind of like strike, I will say. And I think the manifestation of the toxicity that I started to brew within myself came as like an accumulation of the things that were said to me throughout all four years. Mm. The next thing that links into that inconsistency comment was my director. He said this to me and I will, again, just like it is like burned into my brain because it fucked me up as an 18 year old, 19 year old dancer who was thought these people had the were looking out for me. But he said to me, he said, Malik, like, have you looked at your classmates? Have you looked at Sean? Have you looked at Josh? Have you looked at Anson? If you look at their legs, they're very lean. They're very long. They're very, they're straight and like beautiful. And he said, Malik, if you were, if you were doing ballet correctly, your legs would look like that. And when I tell you, like, I left that meeting thinking I have been dancing incorrectly my entire life because of the fact that I have more muscle in my legs. It's not a question of like, my legs weren't strong. My legs couldn't, like I couldn't, I was performing. I was dancing. I was doing the track, but because my legs didn't look like theirs, I was told that I was doing ballet incorrectly. So then I went into the rest of my year thinking I'm doing this incorrectly. I can't do it right. I need to do it right. How do I do it right? I'm looking at these other men who are white and a lot more slender than I am. And I'm like, why doesn't my body look like theirs? Why I'm trying so hard. I'm working so hard, but obviously it's not right because my body doesn't look like that. Yeah. That's what I mean when it it manifests this toxic energy within myself Because now I'm looking at myself and I'm like, Malik, you are doing it wrong. You are incorrect. You are not dancing well. And that's why you look like this. That's why you don't get the part. That's why you're on probation. That's why you're failing. And like that took a huge toll on me. That was the start of my downward spiral, which you mentioned like happens to other people. That was the start of when things just started going down the toilet, going down the drain, like my mental health just kind of dissipated. I, I started having depression, severe depression, which I'm still battling today. I'm still seeing a therapist, still sure. unpacking things that have happened at Juilliard five years ago because it, it has fundamentally impacted how I see myself as a person. Because something that you said, which I am like really, I heard, I'm like, wow, that really makes sense for mine is like stamping out your personal funk, Mm. stamping out what makes you, you. That's what it felt like for me. I had to be someone else to to do well, to succeed. Yes. Um, Malik, Malik, was there, was there an epiphany? Was there a moment in your career at Juilliard where you said, fuck them, (laughs) essentially. Fuck it. This is who I am. This is what I've got. Was there a moment or, or what, what were there, 
was there a group of, 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 of dancers or people, a community around you that reaffirmed when you didn't believe in yourself? Was there a community? Was there someone you could go to that said, you know, Malik, listen, dude, they knew what they were getting when they accepted you into Juilliard. And so start there as opposed to trying to mold you into a cookie cutter with someone there just to say, Malik, bring you to the table, bring the best you to the table that you could possibly bring. Was there somewhere or was there an epiphany at some point? There was, I think there are several points in my brain that I am kind of popping up to me. Take your time. I remember when I hit rock bottom. Okay. And that was the end of my junior year. I was still on probation and I had another meeting with the director and he told me in like, I keep saying this brings a chill to me because I truly hit the bottom. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, Malik, at your audition, you showed so much promise. You showed so much potential and like all the teachers, everyone were so excited for you to join. And since you've been here, all you have done is disappointed the, the faculty and me. And When I tell you I felt broken, I was completely speechless. And in that moment, I I was sobbing. But I said to him, I said, Larry, I will never be Sean. I will never be Josh. I will never be any other person in my class but myself. And I am trying my absolute hardest. I have tried my hardest from the very beginning. And if that is not enough, kick me out because I'm giving you everything that I have and obviously it's not enough for you. So instead of going through this every single year, just kick me out and call it a day because I'm I'm on probation and I have Mm -hmm. been for however long that has been. And you are obviously constantly disappointed in me. And you just said, apparently the entire faculty is disappointed because I am not reaching my true potential. And I was just like, I have no more to give to you. I have no more to give to the school. I have no more in me to keep pushing by myself to be better. And so I literally told him to kick me out. He didn't, obviously, I have my BFA. But I think that was the moment where I, I said to myself, Malik, you're, you're just going to have to do it yourself. You're going to have to, you have been broken down for three years and you have one more year and not even a whole year because I'm auditioning this year to be in the world. So you have X amount of weeks, X amount of months to build yourself back up and be the person that you were before you joined this school. And Malik, Malik, hold on for one second. I just need to ask it. Where did that start? You said you need to build yourself back up. How do you start? You're at rock bottom. How do you start? Where did you start? Where did you start? Did your your family know you were going through this? Thanks so much for spending time with us. Come back next week for part two. This is Denise Wood saying, you want more? Find us on whatever podcast platform you use. Subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks a lot. See you next time.